1: That's right, chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style
0: games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. plus conditions apply website for details. We made this.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Tony Black, and welcome to the Discourse. The Discourse, of course, takes a weekly glance at the world of cinema and entertainment, chewing over news, box office, and everything in between. Before we start, however, a quick reminder to follow us on Twitter at PodTheDiscourse. Drop us an email at contactthediscourse at gmail.com. And if you have time, subscribe and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help us bump up the podcast charts. So this week, we're cheating a bit, to be honest. That's why I'm on my own. And though Carl will be appearing on this episode, we're technically having a week off. Well, Carl catches up on some movie palace stuff, and I do some Sean Connery book podcasting, radio promotion, and more and stuff like that. However, we didn't want to leave you completely empty-handed, so we thought, since we keep going on about motion pictures, the other podcast we did a while back, why don't we haul some of that content out of Mothballs and fire it your way? We because we really love doing that show and we're proud of what we discussed. So, in case you've not delved into it, we thought we'd bring the party to you, I suppose. So one of our episodes revolved around a personal chat uh, of our five favourite movies of all time. Not the ones we might put on our own sight and sound list in a few weeks, but our favourites. The ones we love, the ones we revisit, the ones we happily get stranded on a desert island with, basically. So we thought, let's share them again with our discourse listeners. So, this was recorded originally in 2019, and we've broken it up here in two distinct parts. This is part one. Sit back then and enjoy some older discourse with our five favourite movies of all time. So, we've picked five each, and mm-hmm. we're not doing the, the, what we consider either the five greatest films ever made or five films that are, you know, in, in a particular bracket or anything like that. We've gone for five films in different ways that we appreciate. What kind of what kind of bracket have you given your films car before we talk about the films themselves, what have you kind of put them under?
0: So I've tried to select five films that are each from a different genre and then within that I've tried to think about what sort of films represent the kind of film fan I am the best. So It'll become evident as we start talking, I think. But you're right. It's like if I'd come up with a list of the five best films of all time, it would have been very different. Yeah. If I'd done a list of my five favourite films of all time, it might have been slightly different too. But I think this is a nice thing we've hit on where it kind of... It's like our film biography distilled <laughs> into five picks, isn't it? Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's sort of drilled down into films that we probably... Either know I, I don't know about you, I think it's films we know really well, more than anything else.
0: Well, I think the question for me is, I'm how much of a re watcher are you? Because like, all of these films are films I really, really love. But I'm not one of these people who's like seen the film fifty times necessarily. Unless it was something I've seen as a kid when I would watch the you know, the VHS again and again and again. Yeah. I tend to be somebody who digs out my favourite films every couple of years, kind of thing. You know what yeah. I mean? So, how how is that for you? Do you, you know, would you watch films um, consistently and over and over again?
1: Or, no, or what? no, I'm I'm like you, really. I, I will, I'll give it a while, and not. Sometimes it's not necessarily out of choice, this, you know, and yeah. thinking right. I'm definitely not going to watch X film that I love because I want to give it a big gap between it. It's just I'm I'm too busy trying to watch stuff I haven't seen, and that just becomes. A complete time suck Doesn't it You know trying to, trying to cram in everything
0: Definitely Because if You know If people listener, listening Are anywhere near As like neurotic As I am <laughs> You know You just kind of feel Like you're missing out Don't you Yeah Because yeah, well, the, yeah. Yeah, There's so much to be seen You know There's so much old stuff To be seen There's so much new stuff yeah. To keep up with stuff from around the world and it just becomes unmanageable yeah. i think
1: i have i've given up trying to look about around the world to be honest i'm, I'm like in all in, yeah. in the time i have left on this earth which if i'm lucky is maybe about another 40, 40 45 years fingers crossed right then i ain't got time i've probably got enough time to watch all the great western films <laughs> and maybe one or two foreign language brilliant films but yeah I, this is it it's, it's what do you choose what well, do you thin down you know
0: yeah well i'm planning to live to a to be 120 <laughs> so i don't have that problem thankfully
1: what, what's, what's your secret there? secret
0: positive mental outlook <laughs> you know uh, as anyone who knows me knows i'm a relentless optimist yeah uh, i think that's it no it, it's true i mean it's like the other thing is um as much as i'd love to be completely selfish and just watch whatever i want it's like you've got to think about what your kids want to watch what your romantic partner wants to watch and mm. stuff and you've got to kind of negotiate all these things kind of tactfully you know yeah well as or I, I do anyway I don't
1: know well no you do you know as, as I've as I said to you previously my wife struggles to watch anything pre1990 because um, she thinks that's like the ancient world and I'm like but you know back to the future 1985 <laughs> But no, she won't have it. Really, that's
0: weird, isn't it? So would she? Cons- she would consider things like Raiders of the Lost Ark like an old film. Is that that kind of like? Yeah, just but, by definition. Yeah,
1: she would. But like, we went to see that at the Royal Albert Hall with a live orchestra. And she loved that. You know. So I and then I was like, you know, this is 1981, right? So she'll make the odd. She likes Star Wars <laughs> things like. That. She'll make the odd exception. But no, it's rewatching is, is lovely when it happens, and I think the films we've chosen our films we could go back and watch or we you know if they were on TV we'd stop potentially and and just watch them for a bit or watch all of it you know but at the same time i wouldn't just want to watch these five films for the rest of my life
0: as great as they are well that's another question altogether that could be an episode in itself like your desert island films yeah you know and then then you have to think about rewatchability yeah. and the fact that you're cut off from civilization, so yeah, no, uh, yeah, I'm starting to think about what I would pick in that situation now, but that's a digression. I'd pick goes,
1: films you know. all about how to get off a desert island and then, and then I'd just use them as like a manual to escape. <laughs> if, there's, if there's been so, any that have, Castaway, Castaway is is it, the obvious. I think, in it, yeah, <laughs> or that other wacky one called Castaway with um. Oliver Reed and Amanda Donohoe. Do have you ever seen yeah. that one? Where they? Where, I know
0: I know of it. I haven't seen it.
1: Amanda Donahoe is just in the nude for like ninety minutes, right? As you look, as you can appreciate. <clears throat> i liked That film when I was growing <laughs> up, when I, when, I, when I was a lad in the nineties, ever that was on telly, I was like, yes. Let's do let's let's do this then. Let's go through our five. Okay. So do you want to kick off then, Carl? What would you what what's your first one and what kind of bracket is it under?
0: Okay, so I have chosen for my first film singing in the rain Woo! beautiful girl you're a lovely picture meant for me. all I do is
1: dream of you the whole night
0: It has a fiddle ready for love. I can jump over the moon of above. It has a fiddle and ready for love. I'm singing in the rain. Just singing in the rain. You know, the great musical with Gene Kelly, yeah. Debbie Reynolds and Donald O'Connor. I don't think that will surprise anybody who's listened to my other podcast. But my rationale is this, because... When I first got into films, really, and we're talking... I was a bit of a late bloomer, Tony. Mm. We're talking probably very early teens, I would say, for actually seriously becoming interested in films. I didn't watch that many films growing up, really. But anyway, when I did, I quickly sort of gravitated... Well, I went to some 70s stuff. You know, stuff that was kind of edgy and cool. And then I kind of worked backwards, like the classic Hollywood studio system era. You know, and I, I wonder why I think... I think my grandparent, uh, my granddad, mentioned like a lot of these films and stuff, and I think my mum my and dad as well. Some of the people they mentioned, and some of the films they mentioned, were from this era. So these were the kind of things I kind of looked out for. Mm. So yeah, I was watching a lot like you know classic westerns and gangster films and film noir and stuff like that. But also musicals, you know, cause I think classic Hollywood. You know, the Hollywood musical is a great American. Uh, tradition, I think that, mm. you know the American film musical, and I think as films of that type go, "Singing in the Rain." I think any any list would have it somewhere up there, yeah. and for me, it's right at the very top. Yeah, and you, you like it too, don't you? I know you've yeah. seen it as well.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, is this a good time to sort of shill the uh, the other podcast uh, that you do? <laughs> <laughs> um, because um, and any, people listening to this probably probably know may well know Carl from the Movie Palace, but um, his, his podcast on classic Hollywood and. Um, it was a funny one that because i record i originally was gonna do another film podcast and I recorded an episode on singing in the rain and got some guests in and things like that who'd written a book about it and then you ended up using that as part of the movie palace and things like yeah. that so we've we've gone into depth elsewhere on this one yeah and i i hadn't I only saw it uh oh God what would that be three two or three years ago i think when i when I did that interview I think it was two years ago when I did that yeah. interview and I read the book. Uh, with the making of book and stuff. And yeah, first time. And I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I thought it was great. I, and I don't have a grounding in classic Hollywood, you know, not, like you. And and I I think it's interesting when you say you were quite young. I mean, you know, like, I think at 10, 10, it's pretty, it's pretty good. I mean, some people don't get into films until they're in their 20s, you know? So I think you would, and to be well, liking, never. well, never, yeah. yeah. And to be liking that stuff, you know, like Singing in the Rain, which is just so you know, so old Hollywood's pretty good at that young age.
0: Yeah, I think it's like if you... The, the people who love that era still, it's like if it gets its hooks into you, it really does. You know, and I think that if you're not attuned to it and you don't sort of necess- You know, filmmaking style has moved on and stuff and these films can look very different to the kind of films we see released today... Mm. And maybe maybe people have to put in a bit of effort to sort of get to the point when they really appreciate, you know, the Hollywood studio system era. But I don't know. I'd say something like Singing in the Rain is maybe a slight exception in that it's such a, um, such a great film that I think it's very accessible to a lot of people, even if they're not particularly fans of the musical or whatever. But for me, I guess one of the reasons I picked it is this, that... I think it's a really great example of the way that like Hollywood worked on this like industrial scale, you know like this assembly line thing where mm. it was churning films out you know and I just love the idea I've always loved it and I still love it but that way of doing things didn't necessarily mean that what came out of the system couldn't be like art of the highest order, mm. you know what I mean mm. so like someone like singing in the rain the way it, the reason it came into being really. Is that the studio? They had all these songs written by Arthur Freed and Nacio Herb Brown, and they sort of built this story around them, you know, designed to tie all the songs in together. And there's just something profound in that idea for me. I don't know. I don't know what you make of it, but it's like there's like this this overriding commercial reason things are being done a certain way, but that can be done in a way that's kind of joyous and mm. meaningful and, and can last for a long, long time. And I think that's what happened with Singing in the Rain. You know?
1: Mm, yeah. Well. Well. I mean absolutely it's still one of those things where it's become a bit of vernacular you know this old singing in the rain thing people people still sing it you know if it's raining and they're happy you will you will get someone go singing in the rain it, it, you know yeah. 70 years on nearly so the fact yeah the fact it came out of you know I mean I, I had no idea that a lot of these songs were in previous films I mean that, yeah, that was
0: you wouldn't know no yeah.
1: no that was a big reveal for me when I was looking into it and that Judy Garland had sang uh, what song was it that she sang? It was in a film, wasn't it? Before and
0: oh, I can't remember the song. Wasn't that the, the title
1: song? No, well, was it singing in the rain? It might have been. I feel like it was might have been another one. No, it might have been singing in the rain. Yeah, I think it was. Anyway, yeah, and that that was in that was in the forties. You know that the, these were being belted out and stuff. So it, it's amazing now. it sort of brought all these things together, and. Created something that just worked on so many levels, you know, in, in, in particularly like yeah. the things like the dancing, which is just astonishing. You know, when you watch what they do, it's your jaws on the floor, you know, even now it's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's a you know, really high level stuff. And the way that the old uh, style of filmmaking worked is that you know, these performers would get the chance just to kind of do their thing in front of the camera, you know. Um, I think as musicals developed, you know, that editing the pace of editing gets a bit more rapid mm. and it meant that somebody like gene kelly there's um if you look at that title sequence where he's singing and dancing in the rain you know it's, it's composed of a quite a small number of shots really so i've always admired that too that like the performance skill comes right to the fore mm. you know and i'll tell you the mm. other reason I, i'd wanted to pick this film or a reason that i thought it made it a nice choice i also really like films about filmmaking you know, and of course yeah. you're Singing in the Rain you, it's all about the transition from silent movies to sound and stuff mm. but again I just like that idea that I like to see a medium kind of examine itself in like a really self-reflexive way you know and whatever the film is you know whatever you know you can do it in different ways you can go high you can go low you can be self-aware you can be mm. introspective you can be satirical so I'm thinking of stuff like The Player or mm. Boogie Nights or mm. you know what I mean mm. um, Day for Night The Bad and the Beautiful whatever it is um, there's this great tradition of films about films too, and I'd say Singing in the Rain would be close to the top of that list as well. Mm, you know,
1: yeah, because people forget that about it, don't they? That you know, it's all about the dance. People remember the dancing, they remember the songs, you know, remember Gene Kelly and that kind of thing. But yeah, the the, the plot is all about that. It's all about the transition, as you say, from silent yeah. cinema to. Um, to to you know talkies and musicals and things. So yeah, it's 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 really it's really layered. There's a lot going on. I love it. I think it's, I think it's great. It's it's one of those that you you almost think people will have seen, but I I I think these days, hopefully younger audiences are going to still in the days where things aren't you know constantly being repeated on TV. You know, like these films were when we were kids. Then hopefully Ooh. they'll still discover it. You know. And it can still be passed down.
0: Yeah, and I I, I wanted to put this film first on my list because I wanted to start off on a positive note because it's such a joyous, positive film. So I'm wondering if you've done the same thing. <laughs> I'm Wondering if you've kicked us off with some kind of life affirming, <laughs> you know, choice. So I, I'm I'm eager to find out.
1: Well, in a way, I kind of have in some respects. Yeah. So I've I've gone for five different genres. I thought I'd go for genres and my first pick is from science fiction which is probably my favourite genre I've kind of gone down this is pretty much in order of my favourite genres if not necessarily my favourite films in that genre but then again this one might be I've gone for Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan
0: Beyond the darkness Beyond the human evolution is Khan a genetically superior tyrant exiled to a barren planet Banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. I'll chase him
1: round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares Maelstrom and round Tradition's flames before I give him up. Mm. god <laughs> I should have said it like that, really. <laughs> yeah. um, which is... I think could be my favourite science fiction movie of all time. It's certainly my favourite Star Trek movie of all time. I mean, I, I am, as you as you know already, Carl, I am a big Star Trek fan. I have been mm-hmm. since I was a kid. Um, since I was... In, well, way back in the 80s when I first discovered... I think it was The Search for Spock was the first film I saw when I was like six. I remember having it on VHS. Okay. And then I I saw this not long afterwards. And I had this on VHS and I wore it out completely. And I think... This film is life-affirming, in that it's about th- okay. a rebirth. Uh, how, how much yeah. do you know this film? I mean, have you seen it much?
0: I have seen The Wrath of Khan. I've seen it once, and it was comparatively... I would say two years ago was the first mm. time I saw it. So, no, I don't know it to anywhere near the the depth and the, you know, the passion that you do. But I did like it. I did enjoy it.
1: Good, good. Not, not that it's a prerequisite, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's... I do know it pretty well. I've seen it many times... Uh, I've seen it in cinema in cinemas, I think twice, once or twice. Even though it came out the year I was born, 1982, uh, so I didn't see it back then. And, and th- this film is, is significant for several reasons. I mean, it's it's it has after star after the reveal of of Darth Vader as Luke's father. Spo- spoilers, in case anyone's you know. Oh. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> This is probably the biggest surprise ending of any science mm. fiction film ever. I would say, in certainly in terms of a franchise, you know, because obviously it's a it is the death of Spock, the most beloved and yeah. iconic character in Star Trek by a long distance, and the film is conversely about all kinds of rebirth, the rebirth of Captain Kirk, uh, Admiral Kirk as he is in this film, as a as a starship captain and as a man in his middle age. It's about that. The, uh, a, a weapon that can either re- re- reignite the, the birth of a planet or destroy it. It is, in many senses, about the rebirth of the Star Trek franchise as well, because this film set the template for everything that has followed since, in many ways. Because you had before this, you had the motion picture, which was 1979, and that was this in this weird sort of middle distance between the the the, the camp color of the 60s TV show and mm-hmm. the exuberance of the 1980s and it was this weird sort of quite cold and staid world of jumpsuits and very slow moving there's one scene in that film where they're going through a wormhole and they're literally talking like this <laughs> like you know and I, I really love the motion yeah. picture I do I, I love it more with age it's got the best score in my, to my mind ever in the history of cinema but oh um, okay. yeah genuinely I haven't seen Jerry, that one look, but that's okay but listen to the score because it's Jerry okay. Goldsmith's greatest work and I think yeah. it's the greatest score ever in the history of cinema um, I'm putting that out there that's a big one but I'm putting that out there <laughs> um, yeah anyway this film sort of re, re, is is the rebirth of that franchise and I don't think I think without The Wrath of Khan you wouldn't have had everything that's come over the last nearly 40 years uh, It. it in so many different ways and I, th- I just think I just think it's really really great it's it's an old basically it's an old World War 2 submarine film mixed with Hornblower in space that, that's that's essentially what it is <laughs> Yeah, that, it is yeah. 100% that's what Nicholas Meyer who was the guy who came in and, and re- revitalised all this did he wanted a space navy uh, and you know in the old English traditional style to the point there they have you know a midshipman going <laughs> you know on the whistle and all that stuff which you didn't have <laughs> you didn't have in the old star trek so this it's so i could literally spend i could spend two hours or more talking about this and unpicking all of it but i'm aware i'm just going to talk at you carl so it's and it won't make good podcasting really
0: no that's okay that's fine um that was really interesting to listen to for me though because i've always been at a bit of a remove when it comes to star trek i never watched them when i was at an impressionable age Uh, I never had any friends who were big Trekkies or anything like that, or anyone in my family who was either, who was Mm. like convincing me and showing me the ropes and stuff. And I always just had this notion, I don't know why, but but it was kind of... um, like Getting into Star Trek was, for some reason, very difficult. I think because there were so many different series and things like that, I didn't know where to start. However, in the last couple of years, I've tried to rectify that a little bit. So I've watched a handful of episodes of the original series. I've seen Wrath of Khan... I've seen the first season of Discovery, Mm. and I've seen the three most recent feature films. Yeah. So I feel like a bit of a heathen, Tony, saying to you that of (laughs) all that stuff that I've watched, and I'll confess, you know, admittedly, it's still very limited and stuff. Mm. Like, people keep telling me, check out Deep Space Nine and things like that. Yep,
1: yep, yep, But
0: Out of all the stuff I have watched, I'd say the first J.J. Abrams film was the one that kind of stirred me the most. So I guess my question to you is, Because you've talked there about how, like, the Rafa Khan, you know, laid the groundwork for all these things that came afterwards. How much is it kind of tied up with the moment it was released into? And how much is it just its appeal as a film by itself without considering all of that, you know? Because I I did like it, like I say, but the Abrams one's the one that really kind of got its hooks into me.
1: That's a good question, really. And, I mean, in terms of the moment, I suppose it was coming off the back of a a re a resurgent interest in science fiction in cinema you know after things like alien which obviously is a massively different movie but you know in 1982 alone you've got wrath of khan you've got et you've got blade runner you've got the thing you know i mean these were films that five years before that six years before that just weren't being made so star wars has kicked a lot of that off you know and then you've obviously got you know the return of the jedi the next year and all these different things that are happening. So I suppose it's it's part of that sort of zeitgeist for mm-hmm. you know, resurgent sci-fi and e- escapist entertainment. But I think in terms of it being a, a film in its own right, I think it does play off some aspects of you understanding the world and the relationships and understanding the, the bond of friendship between these people who've, who've mm. been together or have served together for 15, 20 years and are now middle-aged and that you watched them for three series and it became this iconic series you know so but i uh, i do not and and to be fair the villain one of the greatest villains in all of cinema Carnunian yeah. Singh played by Ricardo Montalban <laughs> yeah. in this brilliantly theatrical camp shakespearean way Incredible performance he's a he is a villain from the tv show he was in an episode mm. called Space Seed in the 1960s and this is a sequel this is essentially a sequel to a 1960s episode in some respects so there's you know but i don't necessarily think you it, it, the film does tell you everything you need to know you yeah. know it, it, you don't need to have seen spacey to watch this film i really don't think that and this is way better than spacey anyway so it's it's so it's it's interesting i think i'm naturally i can't see it through the prism of somebody coming in at new it's very very difficult for me um because i'm just clouded by my love of it but I'd encourage anyone to try. I, I think I think as a gateway into Star Trek, it doesn't it doesn't work. It's not it set the it set the groundwork for a lot of stuff after that. But a lot of not very little is like Wrath of Khan in how it actually works and comes together. In the same way, so you know if you if you watch Deep Space Nine, I mean it's nothing like Wrath of Khan. Like it, it's com, it's complete. It's it's great, but it's very alien compared to Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan is a very human film. Like, And I mean that in the best possible way. He's, he's, Nicholas Meyer wasn't interested in big aliens with weird faces hmm. and all that. He wasn't. He was he was interested in human stories, and he wanted to create a very sort of 18th, 17th century aesthetic with, with space. Whereas when you get to Deep, Deep Space Nine, you've got shapeshifters and weird big guys with big ears and <laughs> all kinds yep. of mad stuff. And it's great, but they're very different beasts. So... I, th- I think it could work as a, I think it could work as a gateway. Uh, it definitely works as a gateway better than the motion picture because the motion picture mm. will put you to sleep if you're not a big right. fan. You know. Um, well, I've
0: heard people say that, so I was kind of wondering, like, if we had another track fan here, or like a group of track fans, would would Raffa Khan be the one they were all picking? My sense is that it is the one people say is like generally regarded as the best track film. Is that kind of how you see? It? I, I think
1: so. I think it would be either this. Star Trek First Contact, which is the second uh, Next Generation movie, or maybe The Undiscovered Country, which is the sixth Star Trek mm-hmm. film, the last one with the original crew, and also directed by Nicholas Meyer, wrote, written and directed by Nicholas Meyer. Okay. Um, possibly The Voyage Home as well, although, I mean, I, and I love The Voyage Home because <laughs> yeah. it's bonkers. It's all about them going back in time to save some whales. It, and that's not even a joke, that is real. But, uh, like, <laughs> but I don't know, I think it'd be either one of those three, really. But the general consensus would be Wrath of Khan because it, it, it's it's not just it's not just a great Star Trek film; it's a great film, and they're not all quite like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So,
0: yeah. Well, I'll sit over here and fly my flag for J.J. Abrams. I guess you
1: know. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I yeah. thought
0: his, I thought his reboot worked really well. You
1: yeah, know? the first the first one of those is great. The first one of those is great. the The next two are fine, but they're not anywhere near, near as good as his mm. um, his first one. But you know haven't you now got a franchise to hit me back with anyway for your second one I'm pretty sure you do or we're coming up to that
0: well I will change the order to make it so that I do yeah
1: have I messed your system up here No,
0: it's alright we're, we're pros Tony we'll roll with it you know? um, <laughs> right no well I'm going to choose yeah on the franchise theme then I've chosen the second James Bond mm. adventure which of course oh, yes. as you well know Tony is from, from Russia, Russia
1: with love, with love. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah from Usher of Love who needs Matt uh, Monroe second Bond when you've film. got us do you
1: know what I mean who
0: exactly right Bond exactly right
1: James Bond that
0: notorious amazing Doctor No Secret Agent is back and half the world is out to kill him as he fits his murderous talents against the Iron Curtain and its velvet women
1: well I'll tell you something called tourney. you're one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen
0: I think my mouth is too big no it's the right size for me, that is. So, I, yeah, I wanted to put a franchise film in to stand in for my love of, you know, mainstream commercial cinema, often action cinema, you know. And for me, there was only one franchise that I really have that deep, abiding love for, really. And the franchise I'm the biggest fan of is the James Bond franchise. And let me explain what I mean about that. Or let, maybe we can discuss what I mean by that. Because fandom is discussed, you know, ad nauseum these days, but... What do you think it means to be a fan? Because I think for me, it's about, you know, about anticipating the new releases or the new installments or whatever, speculation and all that. The kind of stuff that, so like the example I would use is Batman, right? Well, there've been some great Batman films, films I would like say are classics, but I'm not that interested in Batman in between releases, if that makes sense. I'm kind of content just to wait until the next uh, installment comes. Whereas with yeah. Bond, I'm much more immersed in that world. I'm kind of following the, what's happening on the grapevine and um, doing fairly regular rewatches and, and things like that. So for me, that's the mark. That's the difference between mm. a more casual appreciation and fandom. But I don't know. Maybe there's a better definition you can come up with.
1: No, no I, I think I think that's... I think that's true. Fandom is—I mean, it's a dirty word these days it because it's—it's be, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> because some of these fandoms are a bit out of control. Maybe they always have been, but I mean, I—I'm—I'm I'm a big James Bond fan, as you well know, uh, as well. And I—it's one of my—I'd say it's one of my three fandoms. My my three are Bond, Star Trek, and The X Files. Which again, this is how we met. We met through The X Files, which is great. So, um, yeah. then it, 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 they're all very three very different kinds of fandoms, and they—but they all share. A commonality in that I think there's a difference between being the kind of fan that I think you are, and I am I'd say, in that we have more of a balanced measured approach to what we enjoy than fans who get so immersed and wrapped up in it that, it, that they, they can't see the wood for the trees, you know, and I think that's part of the problem in things like Star Wars, particularly in the last few years. Whereas I think you're the kind of fan who's a bit more I love it, but I can see because not every Bond film is great. Like not every Star Trek film is great, right. you know. So
0: this, yeah, this is the key point I think. So when I said this is a very different list I've come up with than I would if I was listing the five greatest films of all time, etc. So I don't yeah. think if I was doing the greatest films of all time list, I probably wouldn't have a James Bond film on there. You no, know? nor would I. If yeah. I was having my favorite films, they'd be on there. Maybe not top five, maybe top five. I don't know, but it'd be an open question. But I've had this like lifelong passion for the James Bond friend. Well, not lifelong. It started again, you know, in the, that sort of. Well, Tomorrow Never Dies. I, I sort of measure it by Bond films. You know, Tomorrow Never Dies is '97, <laughs> so I must have been 11, I think. 11. Um, that was the first one. That I That's always at
1: on TV. That's yeah. always on TV. That was every Saturday night. That's on ITV2. I'm telling you, seriously. Yeah. Tomorrow never dies.
0: Yeah. Well, with good reason, perhaps. <laughs> uh, <I would> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a good one. I quite one. like it. It's yeah. So I've been a Bond fan for longer than I haven't been a Bond fan, is what I would Mm. say. But like you kind of mentioned, I think that if I was taking a really cold, hard, objective look at the Bond franchise, I'd readily concede that there are plenty of films in there that... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to chumpacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. J-j-jumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary void we prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: I'm not like, you know, great examples of cinema. You know, I think it's the difference between I can rewatch a view to a kill and just enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah. If somebody yeah. paid me to write a review of it, for example, I'd come up with a very yeah. different take on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird as a as a fan kind of navigating that perhaps. But I think I understand what, exactly what you're saying about fans, but so what would be an example of like a bond fan who's got, you know, caught up in it and has got these kind of toxic attitudes you're kind of suggesting. How do you think it kind of comes out? it's it's hard
1: to say i mean i i think it's it's about the protectionism of it for one thing i think it's the the gatekeeping is a big thing in that you know you can only like this kind of thing or if you don't like something then you are immediately a heathen and you you're not a true fan i suppose a big one for bond actually a big division point for bond over the last nearly 20 years has been that the new bond films aren't bond films as in the new bond films have been the daniel craig movies yeah um, which are about to obviously come to an end with No Time to Die next year, as we record. But lots of lots of legacy Bond fans, and that would include you and I, you know, people who grew up with it in the eighties and nineties, and before that, would say, "No, they're not Bond films. They're not the same." And it's like, "Well, they are because they're part of the series." And you're judging based on your own preconceptions of what yeah. you want a Bond film to be. So that's that's where, unfortunately, it can get a bit polluted. But I, I think like like with it, like with everything these days these these people are in the major are in the minority yes you know but they just shout the loudest after time so it's a shame and they they sort of cloud the discussion which is unfortunate
0: yeah I think that's one thing I would say like there's definitely nothing wrong with being kind of um, a fan who's completely caught up in whatever it may be it's like you say it's yeah. the, the fans who give them that kind of person a bad name are the ones who go online and um, yeah have a you know have kind of a negative approach and towards okay. other people as well as the thing but i think a lot of these issues were kind of alluding to so there's all the idea of like should should bond be recast with a black actor should bond be recast with a, a female uh actor in the role uh, mm. but from Russia of love you know all these debates were long in the future when from Russia of love came out and mm-hmm. i could have picked maybe one of three or four bond films uh for this slot i've got a few that kind of rotate in and out of the top spot but The thing I love about From Russia With Love is because it's so early in the cycle you know and I know we've talked about this before elsewhere but at this point the formula is not quite set in stone and that just gives things a bit of an edge in From Russia With Love I think you know with Goldfinger that'll kind of establish the formula and subsequent films will kind of repeat it or try to um, build on it but in From Mm. Russia With Love we're just starting to get things aren't we like the first proper pre-credit sequence yeah, and it's not quite the big action spectacular that the that they'll become in the future and things like that. And I think that edge I spoke of, it carries over into this film in different ways. Like you just get some great sequences, like the fight between Sean Connery and Robert Shaw on the train and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. There's a real kind of
0: muscularity to some of the stuff in From Russia with Love mm-hmm. that I like. I think Connery's great in it, you know, and I know you're a big Connery fan too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like yeah. I say,
0: this is one of the top ones I could have chosen something else potentially, but I think this is a really, really good one.
1: Yeah. I I think, it's never been one that I've constantly rewatched, but I always enjoy it when I do, because like you know, it's a bit like how um, I rewatched Doctor No earlier this year, and I was surprised at how much I thought Doctor No was a really good film. And you know, mm. ba- back in the day, I thought it was quite dull, and it really isn't because it's it's still taking what Ian Fleming put on the page and it's adapting it and turning it into its own thing. And like you say, Goldfinger, which again we talked about in the movie palace, didn't we? Not slow yeah. back. Is is when the the template exists that, that they followed roughly up until the end of Die Another Day and then they they tried to subvert it again Casino Royale onwards unless you know you count Spectre which is <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah. tapping back into that. But yeah it's um it is a really good one. It is a really good one. Connor it's at the point Connery's still Connected into it as well. And, yeah, like yeah. you know what I mean? It was post Goldfinger he starts to go, oh, I've done this now, I'm bored and he's <laughs> yeah. even said he's even said that, hasn't he, in yeah. inter- many interviews. There was a great interview I read the other day. It was a, a classic interview someone posted from the Guardian from 1971, where it's ah, about right. diamonds. Diamonds are forever is just about to come out. Diamonds are forever is shit. I mean that film is rubbish, <laughs> right? And and he's there going, yeah. Well, I'm just you know i have just come back. I'm just doing it really for the money. And he's like, <laughs> he's so he couldn't give it. T- he's like, yeah, all the same now, you know. And it's um, <laughs> it's great because that because in this you can feel that rawness that he's. He's excited by it, and he, tellingly, one of the last things he's done as a, as an actor was do the voice work for the From Russia with Love PlayStation Two game of all things in two thousand five, and that he as as an old man he did the voice work for that game, uh, additional voice work. So he was ha- now, and he never does things with Bond, does he? Mm. He hates talking about Bond. You know, he's got a really, really big antipathy with this character that's been the noose around his neck for his entire life. Yet he came back in 2005, after he'd finished retired acting, to do this voice work on a computer game. To me, that suggests he's always liked this one.
0: Yeah, well, I never played that game. Um, I think It was alright. It was alright, yeah. Nothing, yeah can, was all right. nothing can top the Golden Eye Nintendo 64 game, no. it, to be fair. No, um, Well, I'll
1: tell you a game that gives it a run for its money. Okay. Everything or Nothing on the PS2. Right. Which was... Which was, in my head canon, the unofficial final Pierce Brosnan Bond. Yeah. It's actually really good. Uh, it's an original story as well. That's worth getting a P.S. 2 just to play,
0: actually. Okay, yeah. I'll have to uh, get on eBay after we finish <laughs> recording it. But, um, no, I think what you're saying is right, and I think that's the appeal with From Usher With Love. It's the last time you can watch a James Bond film without it being a quote-unquote James Bond film with all the specific yeah. associations that will build up um, especially from Goldfinger onwards, so that's a large part of the appeal for me. Uh, but Tony, are we sticking with franchises for your next pick, or are we going somewhere else? Where are we going? We're go- we're sticking with franchises, okay?
1: Because my next favourite genre is action. Yeah. Whenever people have said to me, Tony, what's your favourite film? For some reason, now favourite—I don't mean the greatest film ever—I mean favourite. Yep. For some reason, my answer has always been Die Hard. With a vengeance, uh-huh.
0: yeah. in the hands of a mastermind of terror. I want to play a game with Lieutenant McLean. What kind of game? Simon says.
1: The path to revenge leads straight to John McLean.
0: If we don't do what this guy says, he's going to
1: blow up another public. Well, why me? What does he got to do with me? I have no idea. He just said it had to be you. It's nice to be needed. Not, not 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 Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is the third film of what back then was the Die Hard trilogy. Do you remember that game as well on PlayStation? Yes, but I don't think the, I
0: had that myself, but yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: it was bastard hard that game. Seriously, <laughs> it was it was evil, like evil difficult, but it was really good fun. Uh, but yeah, the third film in the Die Hard films, which is Bruce Willis and Samuel L Jackson in New York. Jeremy Irons is a mad bomber called Simon and he's he's pretending to blow up the city when he's trying to steal gold and it ties back to the original Die Hard it's got Michael Kamen's brilliant score with the old the animals going two by two (laughs) all that stuff and it has for my money one of the best action buddy cop duos and scripts ever that film is not only really entertaining really exciting some fantastic set pieces John McTiernan who is one of the most underrated directors in Hollywood Ever for me, mm. he's not had the best end to his career or anything like that. But early back, <laughs> let's yeah. put it that way. He, prison didn't help, but yeah. but eighties and nineties, he was knocking out some quality movies. And obviously, he did the first Die Hard as well, and he came back for this one. So Renny Harlan did Die Harder, and this is just so fun, so funny. I I, I know this script inside out, like. I've watched this. This was the film I used to rent. It was the, it, when I was 1995 when I was 13. My dad used to take me to the video <laughs> shop, and he on a Sunday, and I'd rent a film. It was either this, this, The Rock. Video. We're talking. No, we we had a video shop up in uh, North Birmingham. I had to, what was, what was it? I can't even remember what it was called now. But it was a crap little one, on like a, like a street by a pub. It was a proper video. It wasn't a dodgy one. It was a proper video shop. <laughs> uh, I, th- yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, used to go up there. It was either this, The Rock with Connery again and Nicolas Cage the only great Michael Bay film ever and (laughs) Crimson Tide the Tony Scott film yeah I'm the commander of this fucking ship you know Gene (laughs) Hapman just being brilliant Um, this one was the one I chose the most how I mean okay let's get this out there this isn't the best Die Hard film or I I admit that Die Hard is the best Die Hard film okay before you ask me this question (laughs) that was the question yeah (laughs) because I can't deny that but cuz that is that is better but I love this I truly truly love this film it's my favorite action film of all time
0: yeah so I've only seen this film like once from start to finish but what I would say is this that I normally have this kind of rule and I'm, I'm pretty I, I stick to this rule pretty off you know most of the time which is like I tend to watch films from the very beginning to the very end but Die Hard with a Vengeance just feels like the kind of film to me that Whenever I come across it, when I'm like channel hopping, and again, it seems to pop up fairly regularly and stuff. Uh, yeah. I'll just sit and watch a few minutes of it. I really like it, you know. And almost doesn't matter where I am. I don't always sit and watch it to the end, but you know, you're pretty much guaranteed to watch a few minutes and get some kind of chase or, yeah, you yeah. know, whatever. I really like the stuff with the helicopter. I think that's at the end of the film, isn't it?
1: But- yeah, yeah. Well, it was not originally the original ending. The original ending was different. The original okay. ending was far more urbane and thriller sophisticated in that Bruce Willis John McClane goes to Eastern Europe to track down Jeremy Irons and he has this conversation and t- it's on the, it's on the Blu-ray okay. he has a co- they filmed it and everything he has a conversation sitting at a table with him and it's very like oh John, you found me and all this kind of thing <laughs> and he's like yeah dickhead and all this kind of thing. and that and they and then he just shoots him under the table so it's almost bondian in a yeah. way weirdly a fu- very <laughs> cool but they, re- they 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 ended up reshooting it later and doing the helicopter bit which is probably fits a bit better
0: so i so i've only seen this film once but i've seen the original die hard let's say five or six times you know so i I was going to ask you like why why not die hard you know but i think bruce willis is just great though isn't he i think he kind of particularly in these first few films i know he kind of he retakes uh, takes on the role again later on doesn't he and i don't think those films have quite worked really but no you know in this and um in with a vengeance and the first film particularly is fantastic
1: yeah and uh, die harder probably isn't doesn't get enough love either but it, it, it's it's a bit more nondescript it's that's yeah. that one that's the one set in an airport isn't it die yeah. harder it's a bit more nondescript whereas this is i mean i think samuel l jackson's a major reason why this works so well yeah, that inter- i think like, in, the, in yeah. the yeah in the first one The first one's great because it's the it's the Nakatomi Plaza, and it's it's it sort of reinvents the action genre in many ways. That you know, it transplants the sort of disaster movie kind of idea with a thriller and throws in an action you know hero, and and it's really it's not just people forget with Die Hard in that it's really well written and it's really thrilling and it's not just him shooting guns like every five minutes. There's a lot more to Die Hard. But this one, this one is a bit more obvious, and you know, explosion, car chase, taxi, yeah. But yeah. it's got that interplay with Samuel L. Jackson, the most reluctant character ever. This is a guy who hates what he hates the whole thing. He just wants to get back to his shop in Harlem, and he's pissed off at Bruce Willis all the way through. Go, what the fuck you doing, man? All the way through, it's just that, and it, they, they have such a brilliant antipathy. And I, I love those kind of characters. It's, it's why. Um, a near miss for this list was Big Trouble in Little China, mm. which, which is a film I adore, and I, because I love the fact all the way through Kurt Russell just wants to get back to his truck. Like I, I love characters who are thrown in these situations and they they don't want to be there, and and Samuel L. Jackson's a really good example of that. So it's just so much fun. Jeremy Irons is also lapping it up; he's chewing the scenery yeah. as as <laughs> yeah. the bad guy as well, much like Alan Rickman did. He's not as good as Hans Gruber, but he's. And not not as iconic a bad guy, but he's he's having a lot of fun as well. And he, and he, it just it's the true sequel to Die Hard. You know, you could you could sort of skip over Die Harder and go straight to this, and they sort of match up in a way.
0: It's a shame, though, isn't it, that a genre that started out as like basically a Christmas film? <laughs> you know, move the <laughs> no, that's the debate, yeah. isn't it? Is Die Hard a Christmas film? I, I would always contend that yes. it is. I think it is.
1: Yes, there's no oh. debate. Like the people who are debating are wrong, aren't they? Let's be honest who was saying it's not of course it is well
0: there's a lot of stuff in there like in Die Hard the um, like the score weaves in like you know Christmas songs and stuff and
1: yeah
0: you let have, like, it snow
1: this... yeah. let it snow is how it ends like what more do you need <laughs> there you have it the first part of our favourite five movies discussion part two will be rolling along very soon and we hope you enjoyed this stroll down movie lane thanks a lot for listening as always And yeah, we'll see you for part two.
0: Do you like crime stories, books and people talking about those things? Then you should check out The Red and Buried podcast. A murder. A murder. Oh. I'm Frankie. And I'm Sarah. And in each episode we pick a different theme and surprise and delight each other with a cheeky little review. As you started reading it I was like this sounds like a romance novel and then you got to monstrous crime. (laughs) Yay, there it is. That's what we're here for, isn't it? We're also regularly visited by many talented and best-selling authors including the likes of Chris Whittaker, elizabeth haynes emma stonex fiona cummins and a whole lot more i li- obviously listened to the podcast and i listened to your interview with chris whittaker and i thought oh hey that sounds like a really good fun podcast for <laughs> if you like your crime books with a big side of silly this is the podcast for you listen to the red and buried podcast right now brought to you by the we made this network